Good morning. <clears throat> glad to see you here and glad to see our, our guests here this morning. We're grateful for your uh, company and pray that you'll just join us in worship here this morning as we you know, meet before the Lord <clears throat> and seek to honor him, uh, not just with our lives, but through his word as well. And, uh, well, I guess I'll start off. I got a couple announcements. One is to go back and visit the website thing. Is everybody still, anybody still having issues there? Did you make it on? Did you try? What happened, Evanel? Did you, you still having problems? It was easy? Oh, you made it on. Okay. <clears throat> Last week, we were having some issues with that. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some updates on there, and um, some. we added a new section called Articles, and I posted a couple of them up there. Well, actually, Jeff did it. I, I just emailed it to him, and he did it. <clears throat> so hopefully we'll be making some additions like that every, every so often, and he'll want to go back and check those out, and hopefully they'll be profitable to you. Uh, Pardon? Oh yeah, well we've oh yeah we've added some links too. Uh, there's several links to some very valuable, helpful other websites where you can do you know study and uh, Bible study, and I think you'll find those profitable as well. I try to only add things that would be in harmony uh, with us, or would enhance or um, contribute to uh, a study of. God's Word. And also, don't forget that I'm, Lord willing, Seth and I will be leaving Thursday morning and heading for Indiana, so we'll be gone over next Sunday, and my purpose of my trip is to visit a cousin who has uh, uh, ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, and he's just five or six years younger than me, but uh, going down very, very quickly, and so I wanted to make a trip to see him. Uh, real soon, and so we're going to work see if we can work that out this weekend to go see him. So I wish you'd pray for us. Larry Henderson is going to be preaching next Sunday, and I don't know, Jeff. Did you want to tell us about the different changes you've made back there with the computer? You want to just come up here and do it? Still in pro it's a work in progress. Did you switch computers out yet? No, not yet. Okay. He's going to take one of his old computers and switch it out with the one we have here and update that and make things. Then he's got another new program he's got downloaded that will make it easier for them. You know, we've had some issues with recording. This one here, he just says, hit a button, it goes. It does everything. So that everybody will be pleased and happy with that. And it will allow some other benefits as well. It will allow him within a matter of... How long did you say? A copy of CD or do whatever? Yeah, about 20 seconds or something. I mean, real short time. Then he can carry that flash drive back home with him on his computer. And then he can update the website and just do it so much faster than it was before. So we're grateful for all that work you've done, Jeff, and, and look forward to the benefits. And I hope that when as you visit... Uh, our website, or even these links that you'll make comments to me about what you'd like to see or 
or if you you know you want me to take the picture off or <laughs> or whatever you know just to improve it. Uh, uh, we want to make it user-friendly so that you can gain profit from it. It's not there for fun, you know, or just because we want to have a website. We want to make it there for your benefit. And, um, we, you know, that's what we're working towards, towards that end. Okay. We're going to look at a very common word in the Bible today, the word sanctify. I had a title down here because I thought I knew where I was going when I started this thing, and then I, it changed, so I don't even have a title now. Uh, I just erased it so I could concentrate on what I, what I needed to say. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of misconception about the idea of sanctify or sanctification, what it means to be sanctified or to, or, or to grow in the process of sanctification. Or to be a, a sanctified person, what does that mean? And how should it affect us in terms of our relationship with God? Now, the word sanctified is very simple. It just means to set apart. If you looked into an English dictionary, if you looked into a Bible dictionary, you would see that the primary fundamental meaning of sanctify just means to set apart. To remove something from all the rest for a particular purpose. To set something aside or set it apart for a particular purpose. Even one dictionary definition I have here, it says to separate or set apart or appoint to a holy, sacred, or religious use. And then they give us as the example. And I want us to use that example here because it sets the stage. It's the very first time this word is used in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 2. And it helps us to understand exactly what this word means. So if you look at Genesis chapter 2, following the days of creation, in verse 3, as God had completed his creation, he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Another dictionary says, um, um, well, it's, yeah, I guess it's, uh, it's really more like an encyclopedia. It says there that sanctificate, by sanctification is ordinarily meant that hallowing of the Christian believer, and by the way, note the word hallowing, because when we see the word hallow in the scriptures, it's the same word. It's the hallowing or the setting apart of the Christian believer by which he is freed from sin and enabled to realize the will of God in his life. Now watch. This is not, however, the first or common meaning in the scriptures. In other words, for a person, you know, we understand that once a person is saved, then the next step is to grow as a Christian, to become more and more sanctified and progress. That's the way we commonly and ordinarily think about it. But the fact is, is that's not how it, that word is used in the Bible most of the time. 
Most of the time, it's used in its primary sense to just set something apart. And so when we understand that, when we read several passages in in the scriptures, it helps us to understand what being set apart is all about. And so they say here, continuing, he says, to sanctify means commonly to make holy, that is to separate from the world and consecrate to God. That is holy which belongs to Yahweh. And by the word, then we come to, by the way, we come to the word holy. And it is always the same word again. To set apart. To set apart for some distinct use. In the same sense here in which God set apart the seventh day. Now the seventh day, as to its makeup, was no different than any other day of the week, the other six. You know, it had a morning and an evening. It had 24 hours to it. The sun was shining on the seventh day. On the seventh day, it rains. You have hurricanes, cyclones, whatever, earthquakes. All You know, that day, in that sense, is no different than any other day of the week. But because God chose that day and set it apart... And he did it. It was his act, his choice to do so. Then that makes it a different day. And it has a different purpose to it. Now, they continue here, say there is nothing implied here. And this is important again. There is nothing implied in that word as to moral character. So if we say a certain thing or a person is sanctified, that should really, the first thing should not step into your mind and say, oh, they must be a very godly person. Because they may not be. But yet they could still be sanctified. The first thought that should enter our mind is, they are set apart. And so the Christian, the one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, is a sanctified person. They're set apart. The seventh day is a sanctified day. It is set set apart. It says nothing about the character of the day or the person. And, of course, we're going to find out that that will apply to many other things in Scripture because many other things are sanctified. And we're going to look at some passages and find out what those are. So to sanctify anything, then, is to declare that thing as belonging to God in Scripture. When we read to sanctify something, it just simply tells us that this is being set apart for God. And that seventh day is set apart for Him. Now let's go on to look at a couple passages. Well, actually, (laughs) oh boy, we're going to hopefully look at a whole bunch of them today. One of the things I like about putting everything here is I can move a little faster. But uh, in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 1, let's turn over there. This is a really a neat passage because I think this passage gives us even the clearest picture of all as to what the word sanctify means, how it's used. And in chapter 13, verse 1, he says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, 
by the way, now notice that, among the children of Israel. Not the other nations of the world, not the Gentiles, but the children of Israel, both of man and of beast. It is mine. And that's the key. Animals could be sanctified. The firstborn animal, a sheep, a goat, a bull, whatever it be, it was set apart for God. And God's instructions to Israel are, it is mine. It's not yours. Now that really adds weight, emphasis, to the idea of what sanctify means. That when something is set apart and God is the one who does it, he sets it apart for himself. Well, that tells us then something about how we should respond, how we should react to that which God has set apart. When he says it is mine, that means it's his property. It belongs to him. And so, of course, we don't have time to read all the passages that relate to that, but God, God gave Israel then clear instructions as to how they were to handle that animal. Well, by the way, they didn't necessarily you know, bring it into the tabernacle. God prescribed certain payments, as it were, for that firstborn, an offering. And, of course, the larger the animal, the larger the offering was to be in consequence of that firstborn. Numbers chapter 3 and verse 12. Let's turn over there. We're going to have to look at several today to get the idea of what we want to talk about. Numbers chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, he says there, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. So instead of, in a family, taking the firstborn child, literally pulling it from that family, God says the Israelites are going to be as the firstborn. And they're going to belong to me. They're mine. And they were separate. You might remember also, you remember the the Levitical priests, just just as a a by-thought here, um, you know, that that Israel was supposed to bring the tithe into the tabernacle, to the temple. But the Levites didn't. Why was that? Well, this is one reason right here, because they belonged to God. They were already his property. Then, verse 13, because all the firstborn are mine, for on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me, I sanctified unto me, I separated unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be, I am the Lord. Turn over to verse chapter 18, excuse me, chapter 8, sorry, and verse 17. Numbers chapter 8 and verse 17. 
And there he says again, For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast, on the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, and I, well, here it doesn't say, and I hallowed them. Here they translated it, and I sanctified them. For who? Myself. God set them apart. He just chose to do so. The firstborn is set apart for me. Now, back to Exodus for a minute. <coughs> Excuse me. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to look at the fifth verse. And there he says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. All right, we're just looking at ownership. But look at the next verse then. He says, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation, a sanctified nation, a set apart nation from all the other nations of the earth. God chose Israel. And he says, to finish that verse, he says, These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God told Moses to instruct the people of Israel that they were his. That they had been set apart from every other nation of the earth to be his possession, and they belong to him. Now you just keep that in mind as you think about Israel today. Just think about that. Don't don't let that go out of your mind. All right, now Exodus chapter 29 and verse 44. Exodus chapter 29 and verse 44. Now here we have the tabernacle being sanctified. He says there, And I will sanctify or set apart the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And I will set apart also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. So you catch the idea there concerning the use of the tabernacle and its ministry amongst the set-apart nation. Within the nation, there was a tabernacle that was sanctified. Within the nation, there were individual people sanctified. The firstborn and now Aaron and the priests were all sanctified. They were all set apart for a peculiar purpose, for a peculiar use, one that was holy in the mind of God and to fulfill his purpose. Now look at Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 19. We're going to jump in way ahead here for a little bit. I jumped too far ahead. Nehemiah in chapter 13. Now, this has to do, we're going back to the Sabbath now. Now, you remember, in Genesis 2.13, we were talking about the seventh day. Now, as it relates to Israel, the sanctified nation, he has, and we, we don't, won't have time, we won't go back and look at uh, uh, Leviticus, 
to look at the purpose of God or the instruction of God in setting apart the seventh day, the Sabbath, as a holy day, a sanctified day for Israel. But simply to notice here in Nehemiah, he says it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, you remember what was going on here in the rebuilding of the wall, and the Israelites had been in exile. Now there's a group that has returned, and they're rebuilding the wall, and it's just before the Sabbath. And he says, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. Why was that? Why did he command the gates be shut? And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. Because people were wanting to do trade. They were wanting to continue conducting business as if it were any of the other six days of the week. And so Nehemiah, to stop that, ordered that the gates be shut at the beginning of the Sabbath. And they kept it that way. And then in verse 20 it says, So the merchants and sellers of all kinds of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. And what did he do? In verse 21, he says, Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? In other words, they just... Here it was, the Sabbath. Instead of going home and preparing for the Sabbath to worship, they just pitched their tent and said, Hey, well, you shut the gate. We'll just wait here for morning and we'll start up where we were again. And we'll start buying, trading, selling, whatever, just as if it was any other day. And so Nehemiah told them, he says, if you do so again, I will lay hands on you. We've heard that expression, haven't we? I'll lay hands on you. And he says, from that time forth, they they came no more on the Sabbath. How many of you have ever told your children, you do that again, I'm going to lay my hand on you. I got some here that could testify to that, probably. (laughs) Well, verse 22, he says, and I commanded the Levites that they should do what? Cleanse themselves and that they should become or should come and keep the gates to do what? Sanctify the Sabbath day. You see, it wasn't because they came and did anything special or peculiar on that day that made it holy. It was the fact that Nehemiah shut the gate. He prevented any of the ordinary common course of events from happening on that day. The carrying on of regular business, regular routine on that day. And he stopped it. Why? Because this day is set apart, he said. It's a sanctified day. So don't build in our minds that concept of holy, that it's, there's some little fuzzy thing surrounding the seventh day over here to make it separate from every other day. It is simply that God set it apart for his use. And Nehemiah was enforcing that. 
he was seeing that it was carried forth and it wasn't going to happen. And by doing what he did, by shutting the gates and preventing the ordinary uh, commerce from being practiced on that day, he honored the sanctified day, the set-apart day. Now, now we've got to go back to the Old Testament, or back to the Old Testament, back to Leviticus again. Let's go back a few, few books, back to Leviticus. And chapter 27. In chapter 27, we find that other things can be sanctified, but not by God. An individual, you and I can sanctify something or set it apart. Here, he says in verse 14, Leviticus 27, verse 14, he says, And when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto the Lord, and it's it's the same root word, by the way, And when he shall sanctify the house to be sanctified or set apart unto the Lord, then the priest shall estimate it, whether it be good or bad. As the priest shall estimate it, so shall it stand. In other words, as the priest shall put a value on it, when you set something apart to God, you you couldn't pick the field up and carry it over to the temple, or you couldn't hand it up to heaven and give it to God. So there was a value placed on that. When you dedicated or set something apart to God, then a value was placed on that, and then the monetary value or the prescribed uh, offering was then taken to the temple, and there it was given to the Lord. That rendered it a holy or a sacred or a set-apart field. And so they did that to their land. They set apart a field this way. In verse 15, he says, And if he that sanctified it will redeem his house, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of thy estimation unto it, and it shall be his. So again, if you want to buy it back, you add a fifth part to it. Increase the value by 20%, and then you can buy it back. So if you, as it were set it apart for $100 originally to the Lord. That was the estimation of it. And then you came along later and wanted to redeem it back. It cost you 120 You had to add a fifth to it. <clears throat> and if a man shall sanctify unto the Lord, in verse 16, some part of a field, you didn't have to do the whole field, just a part of it, of his possession, then thy estimation shall be according to the seed thereof. And homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So God set the standard. You know, we don't have a gold standard in our country anymore. Big mistake, I think. But God set a standard in, in how to determine or value the field. To put a value so that when a person sanctified that or set apart, dedicated to God, then they could take that amount down to the temple and there make their offering to the Lord. Now look at, let's jump, move over a couple of chapters. Chapter uh, Numbers, chapter 32. Got to move over a book and a few chapters. In Numbers chapter 32, and verse 8. And probably we could stay here and park on this for quite a while, but 
I'm not going to do that. That might be for another time. But I want us to see something here in verse 8. He says, Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And what I want us to see here is the word Kadesh, because that is the Hebrew word for sanctify, to set apart. And I want us to see that because there was nothing special about Kadesh other than that was a special place in the desert. It was a place that Abraham went to. As a matter of fact, it's mentioned many times in Scripture. But the word Kadesh. And I want us to see once again that it is something that is purely set apart. It has nothing to do with character or the moral condition or whatever of that thing. It is simply a set apart place. All right? Now, this is where it gets interesting. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 38. And verse 21. <clears throat> and it says in verse 21, And he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. Now, if you'd be less like me, you'd look at that verse and say, what in the world does that have to do with sanctify? But did you know it's the same word? The root word for a harlot is the same word for sanctify? And we're going to find out why, I believe. That's what I want to aim us to this morning. Why is that so? Well, let's go over to Deuteronomy first, chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 17. Now, believe me, there are a whole lot of verses we could have been looking up this morning. And you say, well, hey, you're already looking up a whole lot. Well, this day there's a whole lot more that we could do to emphasize this. So I've, I selected the most, what I would consider the most relevant or key verses to help us to move us along a little faster to see what are we dealing with here when we're talking about a sanctified city? And by the way, Jerusalem, you know, is a holy city. It's the sanctified city. You have a holy nation. You have a holy people. You have the firstborn who are holy. You have a holy tabernacle, a set-apart tabernacle. You could have a set-apart field, a holy field. All these things. Now we find out a harlot's sanctified. Well, that was sure that sure shoots away any idea of moral connotations to it, doesn't it? Because that's not what it, that, that's not the primary understanding. Now there is a, an understanding of the word sanctified that does have moral connotations to it. But remember, we said that's not the way it's used most of the time in Scripture, and that'll be probably for another day, too, to look at, because we're not going to have time. We're looking today at the primary meaning, the, what, what would we call the formal, or the, uh, yeah, the formal meaning of it. 
Well, verse 17, he says, says, There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Now, the word whore and the word sodomite, again, are the same word. And then he says in verse 18, Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore. Or Now, by the way, the word whore, there's a different word. It's the one that implies sexual immorality. Or the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow. In other words, you couldn't sanctify a dog. What's the idea behind the dog here? Well, let's read the rest of the verse first. He says, for even both these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, the price, you know, in the whole context here, we're looking at this harlot then, or the sodomite, or a dog. And not a literal dog, though. A dog here is a euphemism for a male temple prostitute. Now, this is where you have to really keep clear. Because involved with that temple worship, when I say temple worship, I mean the temple worship here of the Gentiles, of the idolatrous nations, involved with their worship was sexual fornication and adultery. So that was a part of it. But you see, that's not the whole picture here. The whole picture has to do with those, the harlot, the sodomite, or the male temple prostitute that was set apart for their cultic worship. In other words, the whole thing had to do with idolatry. Worshiping of idols. And God uses this as a descriptive means to describe for us what his estimation is of such a practice. Back to Numbers chapter 14 for a moment. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 33. And there, regarding the nation of Israel, you remember they were, at this point in time, they are moving up to Kadesh Barnea. Actually, in chapter 13 they did. Um, and now they're, getting, they're, they're preparing to enter into the land. But because of their refusal, because of this evil report that came back, and they accepted it, and they refused to go into the land, in verse 33 of chapter 14, he says, And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Bear your whoredoms. Well, let's do something here. Let's turn to first, uh, well, no, better not do that yet. Go to 2 Kings first. I realize this is a whole lot of jumping around, but I am going somewhere. I want, simply want us to see the, the, the continued, consistent carrying through of the thought of what sanctify 
primarily means and what it refers to in most contexts. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 22. Because now we're going to begin to see the application of that. It says, And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. In other words, do you see the immediate connection between Jezebel, her whoredoms, and her witchcrafts? The idolatrous things which she was practicing in Israel, the sanctified nation. Second Chronicles now. Second Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 13. And there it says, well, you get, look at verse 12. It says that there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab. Well, there's our connection back with Jezebel again, see. And also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. In other words, the connection, you see, between the whoredoms of Israel and the idolatrous practices. In other words, what God is, and you see, and I'm just, it's so, I'm just using such a few verses. I don't want us to lose thought or lose sight of the fact that this is mentioned many, many times in Scripture. Matter of fact, I can't remember. Yeah, it's Ezekiel 28. If you go to that chapter, oh man, I mean, it's just filled with it. The hardens referring to the idolatrous practices that Israel brought over into their nation from the Gentile nations around them. And so many times this has to do with this practice. And that's what God becomes so upset with Israel over. And that's what Joram was upset here with Jehu. He says, is it peace? And he says, how can there be when you're practicing in Israel the whoredoms of old Ahab and Jezebel and her witchcrafts? How can there be peace in Israel? Well, in 2 Chronicles 21, well, we just read that one, 13. Ezekiel 16, 20, you won't have to turn there, but he says, Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters whom thou hast borne unto me, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? In other words, I'm just giving you another example. One thing the Israelites were doing, they borrowed from the Gentile nations around them. They, 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 they took their children, they took them over to this uh, heathen god, Molech, and tossed them in the fire. Matter of fact, some of the pictures you'll see, um, I don't know if they've recovered any of these or not, but it's just a big picture of the God with a big open mouth and they build a fire inside and just 
cost the kids in. Sacrifice them. And he calls it here your whoredoms. In other words, you have departed from the sanctified purpose. You have departed from the fact that I have set you apart to be a different nation from the nations around you. Now, of course, when it comes to the application of that to you and I, of which I spoke of last week, uh, about being sanctified, being set apart for God's use, how we are to separate from the world, to not be a part of that, to live separately because you've been chosen for particular use, for particular means, which God has yet to accomplish in us. So if you take all that into, in, into, into view, and you were to go back to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul uses Israel in the wilderness as an example of how we should be wary not to fall into the same trap they did. And he names all the various things there. And you know what? Only one of them was you could apply to a purely sexual sins. Others were just grumbling. They murmured against Moses regarding having something to eat, having something to drink. You had the sins of Korah and their rebellion against God's chosen set-apart leaders. And they suffered because of it. He says, you'll wonder, well, we already read that in Micah Numbers. Your carcass, he says, you're going to wonder here in this desert till every last carcass of you falls in the desert. You die right here. You're not going to enter into the promised land. And Ezekiel chapter 28, he says, Thus saith the Lord God, When I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered and shall be sanctified in them. Well, you come to the end, the last few chapters of Ezekiel, and all of a sudden, though God has been using the prophet Ezekiel to condemn Israel for her many sins, of whoredoms, idolatry. But he says, yet there's a future. There is yet a future. And he says, there's coming a day in which I shall be sanctified them in the sight of who? The heathen. Those who practice the idolatry. You will be set apart in me. And he says, then shall they dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob. And you know that day hasn't happened yet? Oh, yeah, Israel's in the land today in preparation. As a, um, well, as want to say, setting the stage in preparation for God's moving and getting ready as I see it for that day when his son, Jesus Christ, will return, establish his throne over Israel, and then they're going to know what it means to be God's sanctified nation. Then will Jerusalem, the city, know what it means to be a holy city, a city set apart for God. You see, it's a holy city yet today. It's a holy city right now. As to its moral character, it's not holy, 
but it's holy because God has chosen it. And we can't forget that. We cannot forget that God has put his hand, as it were, upon that city and is his. It belongs to him. In Ezekiel 38, he says, Thou shalt come up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Verse chapter 39, Ezekiel 39, verse 27. He says, when I, in verse 27, when I have brought them again from the, the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations. So you see once again here, you know, the whole idea, there's a day coming, Israel, in which I will pull you out of all the lands, all the nations of this earth, and I'm going to put you back into that land of promise. And there you will be sanctified in me. You will be set apart in me. And in that day, when that is fulfilled, then God will bring in a righteous rule. Then the character of the nation will be changed. And there will be peace. Peace throughout that land. And so, and we're not done. I'll have to continue on at another time since we're out of time today. But simply to rehash, revert, re review today, is simply to say that to sanctify means, and, and I wanted to really emphasize the fact that we've got to, you know, not can always run in our mind to the idea of moral characters being involved with sanctification, since that's not the way it's used most of the time. And all we have to do is look at the use and the way in which God describes things as being sanctified, or nations or people as being sanctified, and yet we saw in conduct, in use of certain vessels of the temple, and we didn't really look at that, but those vessels were sanctified and set apart. And many other such things in the nation and yet were not used for that set apart purpose, that sanctified purpose. They were abused. So you had a couple of things going on. You had, number one, in Israel, the abuse of the sanctified things, those which were being misused. And by the way, we didn't even go look at the chapter where Remember where the man was out on the Sabbath picking up sticks? And so what did they do to him? Well, they went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do we do? You know, and he said, stone him. Take him outside the camp and you stone him to death. Because he did not respect or regard the set-apart, sanctified day, the holy day, the Sabbath day. And so the, my point is, is if we do the same, if we disregard, if we do not be careful concerning that which God has chosen, and, and the scriptures make it very clear concerning those who hope in his future rule and to share in that, that they are God's chosen. 
is that we must act and live in accordance with that. We must respect the sanctified things. And we must honor God in that sanctified thing, that which he has chosen and set apart for his use. That's why you could say, I'm not my own. I have been bought with a price. I don't belong to me. I belong to God. And so how I act, how I talk, what I wear, the way I dress, the things I listen to, the things I take into my soul, into my person, all affects how we treat God's sanctified things. And so I want us to encourage us today to be, you know, watch our walk and make sure that our walk is in accord with what the purpose for which God has set us apart, to be his his holy people, his peculiar nation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word once again, but not just to study it, but to enjoy the fellowship of your people around your word, to enjoy the communion that goes with fellow believers. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to understand that and to experience it in such a way that you would look upon us with pleasure, to look upon our company of believers uh, with joy and gladness in your own heart as we fulfill your commandments, as we obey you and do that which you bid us to do. In Jesus' name we pray.